Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good. All right, let's go on. We are in week five of our series. We're calling our series, Please, Sorry, Thanks. We have two weeks to go. And uh, really what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to unearth and re, uh, refocus uh, our congregation on all of our campuses and refocus each of us as followers of Jesus around the relational dynamics uh, embodied in these simple yet powerful words, please, sorry, thanks. And uh, we are taking a look at this particularly because we have sensed that there's something going on in our culture where uh, we are not as proficient around this area as we have been in the past. How many of you would show your hands and say, I think that's true. We're not as good at this as we used to be. If we were good at it, if ever we were good at it, we're not as good at it any longer as we used to be. And so we're talking about that. And those who study this sort of thing about a behavioral scientist in this uh, work tell us that a lot of that has happened because we now almost do everything on our phones. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you remember when cell phones first came out? Right? How many of you remember? I can, I'm going to confess that when they first came out, I was literally, Beth and I had a conversation, and we said, do we even need one? How many of you remember doing that? Yeah. Right? How many of you would say, yeah, we were trying to figure out if we needed one. How many of you would say, no, the minute they came out, we were like, got to have it. Not many people, right? We were doing that. How many of you remember when texting came out? I literally remember my, I think it was my brother-in-law. We were out visiting Best Family in Texas, and my brother-in-law was trying to sell me on the idea of texting and how this could be, really be helpful. And I'd, I, wasn't a, I wasn't an early adopter. I didn't think it was like a good idea. And now, like, we text all the time, right? I text my wife in the same room. Like, she's on the couch, I'm in the chair, I'm like, hey, what do you think about dessert? You know, this is kind of what we do, and this is this thing we do in our world right now. And it's such a challenge, because it's it's monochromatic, and it's one-dimensional, and we can have user error. How many of you ever text somebody that you didn't intend to text? Right? I remember one time, uh, I think Haley and Brandon were dating one another, and and uh, Beth, I was telling Beth, I was picking up some groceries and I was coming home looking forward to an evening together. And I said, hey, I cannot wait to get home and cannot wait till you join me at home. Big kiss for you coming. And I text Brandon instead of Beth. <laughs> and my, my, it wasn't even my son-in-law at that point. And he said, ooh, I'm never coming over to your house ever again. And I started thinking about this. This is one of the 900 times Haley and Brandon broke up with one another was that kind of experience. But this is what we do. And so there's a challenge around this. And so we're having a conversation. And here's what I love about this. The Christian gospel, the Christian message embedded in Holy Scripture, uh, the idea of this subject that we're talking about is not silent or unknown to Holy Scripture. And when we look at the work of the Apostle Paul, one of the original framers, if you will, of what Jesus intended when he began to vision with the disciples about pulling a group of people together to fulfill his purposes on earth, we call it the church. 
when Jesus began to dream about that and Paul would later vision around that, he's not silent around this subject. And, and embedded in what uh, Paul wrote that we call really right now, we're calling it the magnum opus of his work, which is the book of Romans. Uh, this powerful, powerful letter that he wrote the Roman church that he never visited physically, but that he wrote to them embedded in that is this idea of right belief and right practice. And again, those who study this kind of concept, here's what they tell us. That they would, they would say to us and they would challenge us that it's not enough any longer. By the way, it's never been enough, but it's not enough any longer that we would um, give mental assent to certain things we say we believe, but we never really practice them, right? Uh, those days are gone. And so, in fact, those who study that sort of thing tell us that we actually only practice what we really believe. And, and we have already made some decisions and our mental maps in our brain uh, only really rehearses and practices out in our bodies and in our wills what we literally believe, like gravity. We can't see gravity, but we know it exists. And our mental map has already said this is a real thing and we need to give attention to it. And so when you look at what Paul the Apostle was writing in Holy Scripture, he connects right belief, that we would believe the right things, to right practice, that we would take those beliefs and we would work them down into the DNA of our lives. And so what we've been doing over these recent weeks as we've been reading a passage of scripture where I think in, in one of the ways it's one of the most beautiful examples of Holy Scripture where there is this idea of right belief and right practice coming together. And over the last several weeks, everybody who's communicated has read it to you, but we have two weeks to go and this is what I thought we'd do the last two weeks. We would all read it out loud together. So let's stand and what we're gonna do is we're gonna put it on the screen. This is Romans uh, chapter 12 verses 9 through 21, and uh, I want us to just sort of thunder this out. This is God's word in this season for you and for me. All right, let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. You know, Lord, I just believe in all my heart that there's probably a moment in this scripture, there's a particular word for every single one of us in our lives right now. And I believe with all my heart, God, that as we are um, entering into this place, as we are now worshiping you with this idea of your uh, written word, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come in fresh ways and say new things to us. Now, all of us are coming into this place and we have uh, circumstances, uh, we have uh, relationships, we have dynamics within those circumstances and within those relationships that we want to accept in faith that this word of the Apostle Paul, these words 2,000 years old have meaning for every single one of us from the youngest listening to the most senior adult. And so God, by the power of your spirit, come, lead us, and help us. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Now, think with me about this. Um, We're on this journey together. Uh, We take all of Paul's words, and if we were to boil them down uh, in, in this idea, in this framework that we've been working our way through, the first thing we talked about is we said that there is a psychology of the word thanks. That when we, when we use this in our language, when we use this in our communication, when we begin to embed uh, in our communication and into our lives this idea of thanks, uh, what we're doing is we are, um, those who write about it say we are fertilizing the soil where good things can grow in a relationship. We are making our relationships even. We're doing in a real and honest way what Paul is talking about, that we're not going to be conceited. We're not going to live as though we have kind of an entitlement above somebody else. We're going to be even in this way. And, and God uses this as a way that we can really uh, embed into our relational dynamic, uh, whether we know, some well, know someone well or we're just getting to know someone, this idea of evenness and this idea of gratitude. That's the psychology of things. If you were with us last week, uh, we, we had part two of the message. We said there's a science of the word sorry. And if you're with us, frankly, two weeks ago, Pastor Trevor did a phenomenal job really talking to us about this idea and what we would say the word is empathy. And that we would, that we would uh, as followers of Jesus, be willing to enter into the relationship of someone else. And, the, and, and in this, we really looked at, I think, what is one of the hallmark passages of scripture for those who are the followers of Jesus. And this, if you, if you study religious history, if you study Christian history, what, what you begin to notice is Christians be, began to be uh, distinguished by a particular kind of lifestyle that is embodied in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that we would rejoice with those who would rejoice and we would learn to mourn with those who mourn. I still remember with uh, tremendous respect and tremendous fondness, I have a pastoral friend in town. We've been 
pastors for a long, long time together. In fact, our kids grew up together. We live in the same neighborhood. We've punked each other over the years. We've just had all of this wonderful stuff going on in our relationship. And I can remember in 2008 when my father died, he got wind of my father passing away and he said, let's have coffee. And I remember sitting down with him at a local Starbucks and it was just on the other side of that and I was, I was hurting. Man, I was struggling. And I'll never, ever forget that while we're sitting there having coffee and, and, and my friend, my pastor friend said, hey man, walk me, through, walk me through what your family's been through in the last couple weeks. And I just began to, to talk to him about it and I got all choked up. I started to cry. And I got to tell you, my friend sitting on the other side of the table, these big old fat tears formed in his eyes and ran down his cheeks. And I I will tell you, that was a holy moment for me. That he was willing to enter in to my pain. He was willing to sit there as long as I needed to sit there and just tell him. And I can still remember telling him, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to practice right now what I've been preaching for years. And it's not easy. And so this idea of empathy is such an important thing. And if you were with us last week, we talked about uh, the science of sorry, and and this idea of apology, and didn't Jess do a phenomenal job last weekend? I mean, come on, and, and you know, just to say, thank thank you for the golf clap, thank you. And here's what I would like to say: um, you know, we're we're on we're on the theological side that supports women in leadership. We're on that side of the of the ball, and um, what a great thing. To see her now. So, if you're with us now today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a theology of things. So, we're going to do this in two parts. The first uh, Sunday this weekend, we're going to talk about this idea of gratitude. And uh, gratitude, if you're taking notes, is simply this: it's the quality of being thankful. Say it with me: the quality of being thankful. How many of you, by a show of your hands? would be willing to admit in the room this morning, okay, that um, you could stand to grow your gratitude muscle. Come on. All right. Yeah, uh, probably as it should be, every hand should go up in the room, right? We should all learn in a way how to grow our gratitude muscle. And if we're going to live actually as grateful people, here's what I've discovered in my own life, and I want to share this with you today. If we're going to really do this, we're going to have to learn to overcome some of the threats to our being gratitude. Uh, to be to, to having gratitude and being grateful people. And there's some things that come against us that are powerful forces that work against growing the gratitude muscle. And if we're going to really do it, before we get to the solution side on it, I want to just lift up the problem side of it. And there are three really big ones. And if you're taking notes, this is what we want to tell you. The first one is called negativity, negativity bias. How many of you ever heard of this idea? This is an idea, and I want to make sure I want to say it, because uh, read it out because I want to make sure I get it right. Negative, uh, negativity bias is this idea that as human beings, we have this psychological tendency to pay more attention to, to give greater weight to negative information or negative experiences than positive ones. Anybody recognize you have a tendency to do that? 
People could be really saying all these wonderful things and they say one thing that's questionable and what do you focus on? The one thing that's questionable. I remember early in our our ministry when we were serving and we had served three years in a large church in Martin County and and finally Beth and I moved to the uh, North Florida and we were serving in a beautiful little county seat church up there and that was the first time I was the senior pastor of a little church and that meant I was a, that meant I was like you know in charge of everything sometimes mowing the yard fixing the toilet you know all that kind of stuff running off the worship folders and all this sort of stuff and I remember I was learning to preach really and, and preaching if you haven't noticed it happens every seven days it just like keeps coming at you. Like you celebrate Sunday, you get up Monday and go, oh, this is coming again. And I remember one time we were, we were learning how to do this as a young couple. And, and I remember one time coming out of a message and I thought I did really well. And I said, what'd you think of the message? And Beth said, pretty good. Can you hear it? <laughs> pretty, pretty good. What do you think I was focused on? What, 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 didn't, what didn't you like about it? I remember a few years ago, we were... Uh, together and every now and again I don't know how you do it we take some time at the end of the year and kind of think about our relationship and we talk about what you know what's what's going well and I thought we were in a really great spot and I said hey you know we could probably skip the team meeting this year I mean uh, we're we're doing pretty we're doing good don't you think and she said we're we're doing pretty good (laughs) right do you hear it do you hear it right so I got I got even because the next day she said do you what do you think about my hair? And I said, pretty good. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just, just kidding. Um, the, the, our world makes, um, like, they make a million dollars around this. Have, have you guys seen that commercial? I don't even know what the commercial is advertising, but the couple, they just bought a new home, and they said, we love our home, but we have ants. Have you seen that commercial? And, and right and then this ant comes out, and she's in the fridge going, expired, expired, expired. Right, and then the other ant comes through and says, "Boy, I hope you can keep it clean." You know, we make we make. You know, some people do this too. How many of y'all remember this person right here? We call her Debbie Downer. <laughs> How remember? De- you know who Debbie Downer is, right? Uh, you know, what's the song? Uh, let's see. You're, you're beginning your day. Everything's going your way. Along comes Debbie Downer. Okay. <laughs> and um, there's a negative negativity bias is this idea that we focus on what's not right instead of what is right. And uh, those who study this thing said, really, it's, it's related to our ancestors. And if they celebrated too much about, you know, uh, having a meal uh, and not worrying on the next meal, they were going to be the next meal. So there's an idea around this, um, and that's one of the things. Here's another one. Write this down real quick. It's the idea of entitlement. Entitlement is a gratitude killer. And I find, I don't know, as a pastor, I find entitlement is a particular infection sometimes that can be launched in the early stages of the Christian faith. Every now and again, I hear this idea that like if I give my life to Christ, if I, if, I, if I submit to his will and become a follower of the way of Jesus, then all of my struggles are over. And when everybody says that, I say sometimes, have you ever read the New Testament, right? 
And, and here's what I want to say. This is not a great way to grow a big crowd, but really when you give your life to Christ, here's what I want to tell you guys. Fun fact, it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. Now that's going to fill the room up, isn't it? Right? Why is that? Because there's this idea in that, Jesus said it this way, in this world, look at you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And one of the main ways that God, you know, kind of sands the edges off of our bad character is to move us, and he'll use hardship to do that. The hardships that we experience in our lives, they become these things that God will use. He will perfect that which concerns us, right? And so this is a particular infection, this idea of entitlement. Let me give you one other, and this is a really powerful one. It's self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And here's what we're talking about here. This, this, is, this is the idea that, frankly, if anything is going to happen good in our lives, we're the ones who got to make it happen. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? And I'm not talking, I'm not talking here about um, personal responsibility. Now, that's important. And I, but I'm not talking about personal responsibility. I'm talking about overdoing it, that you, you see yourself as the creator of all the weather in your life, and it's all up to you. And, and that's not what gratitude is. And what gratitude is, it's, it's the next rung up from self-reliance. And it's beginning to see what's going on in your life and in your world as a way that God is bringing his favor and wants to bring his blessing to you. And so once we get on the other side of these challenges, here's what I want to suggest to us this morning. I want to suggest to us that the the real way that we defeat these things in our lives, actually, here's the thing, newsflash, here it is, ready, ta-da, it's Christian worship. And when we worship our creator, it centers us in some very, very powerful ways in our lives. And in fact, this morning, I was thinking about this. I want to talk to you for just a quick moment or two about about the kind of Christian worship that really moves the needle with gratitude. And I got to tell you, here's what I want to tell you on the front end of this. It's challenging. And Paul, if you're looking at the scripture that we read this morning, that we read together out loud, he actually offers us a master class of the kind of worship we're talking about. And it happens in the the 12th verse of the 12th chapter where Paul, and read it out loud with me, ready, go, where he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Say it again, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. One more time. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. What is he getting at? Let's look at all three of them real quickly. The first one, let's look at this. Be joyful in hope. And this is the idea that when you worship God, part of that worship should be focused on the way that God is operating and wanting to work in the world and wanting to work in your life. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter three. He said, set your mind 
on things above, not on earthly things. So, so, so we have all this earthly stuff going on, but Paul's saying part of, what, part of what worship is is this idea to think it up a level, to think it up a level and set your minds on things above. James, which is Jesus' half-brother, said this, hey, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This is really an important value. It's this idea of investing and and, um, organizing our lives around taking stock of where we are. Do you ever just look at a sunrise or sunset and just go, my goodness, this this is God doing above and beyond you ever, you ever watch the laughter of children at play or, you know, um, dinner with a friend or, you know, where these spaces in our lives where we can take stock of the way God is showing up? Um, I, 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 would, I would aspire that we would become a church that a part of our worship is just characterized by this value of being joyful in hope, celebrating where we can, honoring God where we can in terms of where he shows up uh, in our lives. Richard Rollheiser says it this way, to be a saint is to be fueled by gratitude, nothing less. Gratitude is the basis of all holiness. And the holiest person you will ever know is the most grateful person you will ever know. Joyful in hope. Now that's challenging. The next one I find is really challenging. And you know it, it's patient in affliction. Um, how many of y'all think you got that one mastered? Right? Uh, my wife says, I am the biggest baby when I get sick patient in affliction. Some interesting ideas around this. Part of what it means to grow in Christ-likeness is to notice the way that Jesus handled the hardships of his life. You ever done that? Uh, You know, one of the things I do every year is I read through a Bible reading program that will take me through the Old Testament once. It'll take me through the New Testament twice. So several times across the year, I'm reading those passages of Scripture where Jesus sacrificed uh, for my benefit and for your benefit. And I'm always, I tell you what, every time that happens, I just find myself going, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I'm not great. I'm not worthy of what you did. You, so often you went through it. The Bible says he was silent before his accusers. He's on the cross and he's praying for others and relate, you know, connecting people to people. He's still other-centered and here he is on the cross in deep agony. And part of what it means, I think, to grow in gratitude is to learn, and as hard as this is, to be patient in affliction. Um, Friday night, I went up uh, to Martin County and 
two of my kids, my son-in-law Eric and our daughter, his wife Shelly, we, we went to see my mom and have dinner with her. I'm going to show you pictures. Uh, here's a picture we are. Isn't that awesome? And then here's Eric and Shelly are, are with her. And uh, my mom is struggling right now with her sight. And uh, it's a battle. And uh, she, she's probably getting mad at me for saying this. She, she can only see out of one eye. And so we're working hard to keep that other eye. And uh, I tell you, I'm just humbled. I'm just humbled by the way she um, endures where she is. Uh, where she's grateful for what she has. She's grateful what she can see. She writes me now in all caps. The first time she did it, I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> and she said, no, this is so I can see. And, um, you know, life is a lot of eye drops right now. She's pacing in affliction. And uh, we have to learn that. And then Paul says at the end, real quickly, he says this. He says we should be um, faithful in prayer. And I think prayer is the middle space that helps us become joyful in hope or patient in affliction. And this is why I believe Paul says pray without ceasing. Because when you think about it, right, can we just be honest? All of life is a thing we're hopeful for and a thing we're struggling through. Isn't it? And so when I, when I discipline my life to bring all of that, all of my humanity into the presence of Jesus, my gratitude muscle can grow. The world's crazy right now, but God is good. And he's always been good. And he will always be good. And so if you're filled with anxiety this morning, here's, here's what I would suggest. Give your life to Jesus Christ and learn how to become joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Lord, these are our prayers. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would meet us in this room. We're all on a journey and we're all navigating our lives and upon what we will establish and build our lives. I want to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that you would give us wisdom to make the right choices around what is in front of us. That you could show yourself faithful and we could grow our gratitude muscle. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God, we uh, find ourselves in places today where the challenge for us is really this threefold idea of grateful worship. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And so God, we ask that you would lead us into those right spaces so that we might fully step into 
all that you have for us and fully represent to the world all that you so freely offer at great sacrifice to you. So God, we love you and we thank you and we give you this space and this challenge in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Of course, to remind you, we have folks here that would love to pray with you. If you have a specific prayer request, we pray you'll come this way before you go that way. Go in God's mercy. We'll see you next weekend.